I felt the Lord speak to me distinctly that I would be speaking to leaders this morning. How many leaders are in the house this morning? You identify as a leader because the Lord says you're a leader. And this is a specific word that I feel like the Lord wants to cast vision over our house so that we can rise to the next level in leadership. Okay, so I'm speaking to leaders this morning specifically about the exciting season that we are in. And Tyler's kind of hit on it. We've added three new Bible study groups this week. That's awesome. We've also grown numerically just in the last several weeks. And as I was thinking of the new families that have come, the individuals that have come, I could not help but smile because those families and those individuals are not the type of people that have just come, they've plopped themselves in a seat, and they've said, all right, feed me, take care of me. No, they've actually been the type of families and the type of individuals who have come moments after, I mean, almost moments after coming into our body and say, I have a gift in this, or I have a heart for this. Can I serve the house in this way? They didn't ask for a microphone. They didn't ask for a platform. They just said, the Lord's given me a burden for this, and I want to serve the community of this house in this way. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God is not only giving us or adding to us numerically. What God is doing is he's actually strategically placing the families and the people that we need for the season of increase that we're about to step into. I'm going to say it again. He is being strategic with the people that he's putting in this house because there's a season of increase that we are about to step into. And we're going to have to be able to steward well because he's a good God. He's not into you stewarding it sloppily. He wants you to do it well. There's a word that I spoke several weeks ago when we met for our prayer and worship night. I want to speak that again. The Holy Spirit said that this house is a house, house that carries tremendous wealth. There is tremendous wealth within the walls of this house. Please don't limit what I'm saying to financial. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was that the wealth that is stored up in this house is in the form of dreams. It's in the form of vision. It's in the form of sons and daughters, spiritual mothers, spiritual fathers. Listen, the wealth that's in this house has to do with the connections, the story of your life that God is writing. There's tremendous wealth within the walls of this house. The thing about wealth, guys, is that it cannot be distributed if it is not stewarded. I was talking with Matthew. He's serving in kids this morning. And if you know Matthew, he's a jokester. He loves to, you know, whatever. Um, he kind of downplays how valuable he is to this house. But he really is a tremendous asset to us. And he's a young man. If he's not a millionaire by his, like, 40s, then I don't know what we're doing with our lives. This guy knows how to steward his finances. So I want to challenge you with this. The word has been spoken that we carry a tremendous amount of wealth in this house that the Lord wants to distribute. But with that word, there's a challenge. And the challenge is our stewardship. The challenge is our maturity. Are we mature enough, leaders, are we mature enough to steward the supernatural that he's deposited? 
I love this quote by one of my favorite authors. She says, if you don't steward yourself well, you will lose the momentum or the momentum will destroy you. How many times have we seen that with athletes or celebrities, big time preachers, big ministries? They've been destroyed because they haven't stewarded the supernatural that God deposited within. Your supernatural stewardship, this is big, is linked directly to your value for relationship. Your supernatural stewardship, how you steward what God gives you, is linked directly to the value you place on the relationship you have with him. Okay? So the season of increase, guys, that we are about to step into, it reminds me a lot of Israel, how they were right on the precipice of their promise. But something went wrong. See, they weren't quite mature enough to take the territory that God had brought them all the way to. And may that not be said of this house. May that not be said of us. Because again, I'm speaking to leaders this morning. And I know that this word will be challenging. But listen, it's an impartation word to you. When we posture our hearts to receive, we lean in and listen to what the spirit of the Lord is saying. There's an impartation that's going to occur this morning. I have three girls. Okay, they are ages nine, six, and almost three. And we're talking about maturity this morning. My girls listen and they obey only because they don't want consequences or because I'm bribing them with a reward. That's their level of maturity. That's what I'm dealing with on the daily right now. That's the stage of life that they are in. But their immaturity, this is important, their immaturity does not change their value as a son or a daughter. They'll always be my daughter, regardless of their immaturity. But it absolutely will affect our relationship. Now think about that as it pertains to your walk with the Lord. Your immaturity does not change the value you hold as a son or a daughter of God. You will always be his son or his daughter, but your immaturity will limit the ability that God, he can't give you what you can't steward. He cannot give you, listen, what he can't trust you with. There's a lot he wants to trust us with, guys. There's a lot he wants to trust the gathering with, but we've got to be able to steward and I'm going to say it again. Our stewardship is going to be linked directly to the value we place on the relationship we have with him. When we grow in maturity, everyone say maturity. Hosting his presence and guarding connection becomes our goal. When we grow in maturity, hosting his presence, guarding that connection is going to become our goal. So we're going to be reading in the book of Numbers this morning, Numbers 11. We're going to take a look at Israel. Now, Israel had been brought out of Egypt. Egypt means bondage, slavery. They had been brought out of their bondage with a mighty hand. They had seen the miraculous. They had seen signs and wonders. And the Lord brings them out of Egypt. And the scriptures tell us that when they were brought out of Egypt, it would have taken a total of 11 days to get them to the promised land. 
40 years or 11 days. Hmm, seems pretty easy, right? 11 days is what it would have taken, but this is what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that God decided that they were going to go the long route. Because the short route was actually the main road. It's where the Philistines, where their enemies dwelt. And scriptures tell us that God knew if they saw the Philistines, they would tuck tail and they would run back to Egypt. So the chosen route for their promise was the wilderness. That's the chosen route. In our own personal lives, many times, the route God chooses for you in order to mature you for your promise is a wilderness. And so Israel, they're in the wilderness. This is shortly after they've been brought out. And the scriptures tell us that it wasn't long until they began to complain. It wasn't long until their immaturity was made known. Now I want to tell you something. When God tests us, because this was surely a test, when God tests us, it is so that we will succeed. When the enemy traps you, it is so you will fail. What is God doing? He's setting them up to succeed. He's setting them up for promise, but they've got to mature along the way. There's got to be some maturing that takes place, right? Their immaturity initially detoured them and eventually disqualified the Israelites from their promised land. And before we read, I want this to be our prayer, that the gathering is not a place or just a church building, listen, where we have a series of miracle moments, but we do not experience continual transformation because of the way we steward his heart. Because the way we steward his heart is not conducive to a continual move of his spirit. Let this not just be a place where we come in and we can boast about the things that we've seen. Let this not just be a place where we come in and we can boast about the people we've invited or how many people we invited joined. Let this be a place where because of the way we host him, he delights to be here. Because of the way we host him, we experience continual transformation in our lives. And that overflows from this place to all of the city and the surrounding areas. That's my prayer. And I know that's your prayer as leaders this morning. We don't want to just boast about his power. We want to host his presence. Come on. I don't want to just boast about the miraculous that I've seen or heard about. I want to host his presence every day. I want to give life to every person that I encounter because I'm hosting him. I'm aware of his nearness. So we're going to read Numbers 11, 1 through 5. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We do this. We practice the standing as we read God's word to honor him, to honor his word, but also because we want to position ourselves to receive. We want to position ourselves to receive what the living word of God has to say this morning. Numbers 11, 1 through 6, and then I'm going to read 10 through 14. And this is what it says. Soon, everybody say soon. They're in the wilderness. And it doesn't take long 
before the people began to complain about their hardship. And the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. Verse 2, then the people cried out to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Verse 4, then, everybody say then, the foreign rabble, or the foreigners, who had traveled with the Israelites when they left Egypt, began to crave the good things of Egypt. Hmm. They exclaimed, we remember the fish we used to eat for free, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. Man, they need some toothpaste. Like that, it's a mouthwash. Verse 6, but now our appetites are gone, and all we ever see is this manna. Skip to verse 10. Moses heard all of the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. Now, all the moms listen in on these last few verses. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Sounds like me some days when I get home from picking my kids up from school. Verse 12, did I give birth to them? Did I, like a mother, carrying her nursing child? How can I carry them into the land? Listen, do you hear that? How can I carry them? into the land. They're supposed to take the land. He's sitting there talking about how he's going to have to carry them like a little baby. Immaturity. How can I carry these people into the land? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? There's over 2 million people. Where am I getting all the meat for these people? They keep whining, give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, go ahead and kill me. He's intense. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. All the moms said amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you. I thank you that you were in this moment before any of us ever walked in the room today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that we haven't come to hear the fine words of a man or of a woman, but we have come to hear the life-giving words that speak to man's heart, that highlight, Lord, the crooked ways. Lord, that nudge on the areas that we've kept from you. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing a deep work even now in the hearts of every person that can hear my voice. And Lord, we're believing as we posture our hearts. Come on, can you pause and just posture your heart to receive humbly what a good father has for you today. I believe, Lord, that this is a word of activation. I believe, Lord, that this is a word of clarification. Lord, I believe because your word is living, it is a word of impartation. And so we receive it now. We say, speak, Lord, your servants, your leaders, we are listening. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Now, this incident happens just chapters before the people of Israel come to their promised land. 
And what we see here is Israel's immaturity. See, in the midst of the wilderness, in the discomfort, in the danger, in the sticky, in the ugly, in the dirty, Israel is so quick to open up their mouths and start complaining. To open up their mouths and start criticizing. To start gossiping. Notice they're not going to Moses. They're gossiping between themselves. They're complaining and grumbling. They're so quick to do this. See, Israel had this idea that because of what they had seen, the miraculous, the signs and the wonders, because of the call they had received, they thought they were mature. But see, maturity is not in what man sees. Maturity, listen, is in what God hears. You ever hear people that talk about their call, their gift, the anointing that's on their life, how they've suffered for Jesus? I'm not trying to belittle the call, the anointing on people's lives. But when you mistake that for maturity, it's a problem. And what the scripture is trying to show us through just this little snippet here is that what God hears from your mouth is evidence of your heart posture. The scriptures tell us over and over again that it's from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. So although they grumbled in private, although they complained, they staged coups, they assembled rebellions, and they leaned on what they had seen. They leaned on the power of God. But you guys, when they got up, right up to their promise, they couldn't take it. They were immature. They were not mature. This is the part of this passage that's highlighting their immaturity. You know, growing up, my parents are not here this morning, but I don't know if my mom and my dad made a pact before or after they had kids, but we never saw my parents argue. I am 36 years old. I've never seen my parents argue. To be honest, I kind of wish they would have because when we got married, all we did was argue. And I thought, surely something's wrong. You know, I never witnessed it. I never saw it. I never saw the conflict, so I never saw it resolved. I know that they were behind closed doors, and, and, and that's what they would do. They would have their, their conflicts behind closed doors. But I kind of feel like I got gypped. I need to be able to witness that conflict, right? They were so good at that. And one of the other things that I remember growing up is that when I would get in fights with my mom because I was a young, stupid, immature teenage girl, and I would have these moments where I would get in the car with my dad, and I would slam the door, and my chest is like, and I got these tears streaming down my face, and everything in me wants to turn to her, or turn to him, open my mouth, and just vent about the injustices that I'm suffering. I mean, you know, her rule was harsh. She was harsh. That's the way that I was feeling, and I'd want to turn to him and tell him about all that was going on in my heart. And I knew time after time and time after again, I could look to my dad, and my dad would give me a look. Don't you say it. Don't you open your mouth. Don't you say those words about your mom. That's going to bring division in our home. See, what I realize now, looking back, is that if an imperfect man whose love is imperfect 
who loves an imperfect woman, is that cautious? Listen, is that cautious about the words that others say about his wife? How much more does it grieve the heart of a perfect God when we say words against his bride? Think about that for just a second. Because we have spiritual names for it. It's a prayer request. We have spiritual names for it. I'm just venting. You don't understand the injustices that I'm having to walk through. But you see, he takes it personally. Because that's what the scripture verse says. It says that they went into their tents and that God heard them. He heard what they had to say. Can I pass to you for just a second? Gossip grieves the heart of God. It grieves his heart because you're talking about his bride and he takes it personally. My dad modeling that leadership in our family did something. There were two things that it did. First is that it created security within our family. It created security for me as a young and immature teenager where I never doubted my parents' love. I never doubted the bond they had. I knew that they were tight. Now, me and my mom, we could have been on opposite ends of the earth, but my dad and my mom, they were tight. It created security in our family. And the other thing that it did was it built trust in our relationships. See, I knew that because my dad wouldn't tolerate gossip, my dad wasn't going to go and snitch on me if I came to pour my heart out to him. Does that make sense? Let me just say this. This is a house where the Lord wants us to have health. He wants us to be a culture of health. He wants us to be a home where people experience security, where people's relationships are built on trust. Immaturity. That's what we see from the first portion of this chapter. The next thing that we see from what we read is that Moses, he has maturity. Where does Moses take his complaints? He went into the presence. That's where he went. And I, I'm willing to bet that that encounter, it was probably lots of tears, screams. It was probably ugly. It was probably messy. But he did it in the presence of the Lord. He didn't go find one of the high priests to go complain and gripe about the people and how heavy the burden was. No, he went directly into the presence of the Lord. He didn't call his family members, Miriam, Aaron, why don't you come with me? Let's take a walk. Let's walk around the camp. Let's figure out how we can get God to consume the rest of these people. And he'll start over with us. That's not what he did. No, he poured out his heart like water before the Lord in the presence of the Lord. And in his presence, guys, he found clarification and he found solution. I felt when I was praying yesterday that somebody needs this. I don't know if it's a mom. Moms are on my heart. I feel you. I'm there in the trenches with you. I don't know if it's a mama. I don't know if it's, if it's a person that's struggling in their workplace. But the Lord wants you to know that if you'll come into his presence, he has solution for you. Supernatural solution. He has clarification for you. How many times have you acted without going into his presence done what you thought would fix the problem and actually made the problem worse. But when we go to his presence first as Moses did, we get clarification. Because see, the Holy Spirit sees what we don't see. 
The Holy Spirit knows the heart of man better than we'll ever be able to guess at it. He will give us clarification. He will give us solutions. God reveals that Israel's complaining, this is important, is a direct affront to his leadership. Not Moses. To his leadership. Now listen, the takeaway before we move on to this next portion is that God will not dwell in contention. God will not bless division. He cannot do it. He simply cannot rest in that place. Psalms 133 says this, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity, Lord. Let this be a house of unity, we pray. It is like precious oil on the head. Oil symbolizes the presence of the Lord. It is like precious oil on the head. Leadership coming all the way down. You see this? Running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard. Again, leadership. Down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew, again, symbolizing the presence of the Lord, were falling on Mount Zion. That's where worship occurred. For there, everybody say there, the Lord bestows his blessing forevermore. See, God rests where there is unity. So this is the exciting part. After he gives clarification to Moses, after he gives that clarification, he gives a solution. I'm going to read the latter part in just a second. But God is going to give remedy for their immaturity. He's going to give them a way to correct. He's going, because again, when he gives a test, guys, it's so that we can succeed. It's not because he's cruel. It's because he's a good father. He wants you to be able to walk in the promises, not just stare at them. Walk in the promises. So he's going to give you a remedy for the immaturity. I'm not going to make you stand again. You get to sit during this reading. This is Numbers 11, 16 through 17, and 24 through 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders. Maturity. Only 70 out of over 2 million. Come on. Remnant. Bring them into the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord, to stand here with you. Unity. You see those two things? Where are they going? They're going into his presence. And how are they going? Together. Unity. I will come down and I will talk to you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will put that spirit, capital S, upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Verse 24 says, so Moses went out and reported these words to Israel. He gathered the 70 leaders and stationed them around the tabernacle. They're going into the presence of the Lord. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to them. He then gave 70 elders the same spirit, capital S, that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. When the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. 
I want to pause here for a second. When they got in his presence, something happened to their mouths. Do you see the beginning part of the chapter? It opens with their mouths. What were their mouths filled with? Grumbling, complaining. We got to figure out how to fix this problem. Let's set up a new leader. What were their mouths filled with? Gossip, slander, whining. But what happens when they get into his presence? It says that when the spirit of the Lord rested upon them, their mouths were filled with what? God's word. Not their words. God's word. It says they prophesied. But this never happened again, it says. Something to do with hosting his presence, I think. It says two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. I don't know why they didn't make it to the tabernacle. They were called. Scripture doesn't tell us why. But it does tell us, even though they didn't make it to the physical place where the presence of the Lord dwelt, listen to this. They were listed among the leaders. They didn't go. Yet the spirit rested on them as well. Must have been men of character. They must have been men of integrity. So they prophesied where? There in the camp. It says, a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, make them stop. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? Listen to what he says. I wish that all the Lord's people, all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. Come on. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that he would put his spirit upon them all. Something happened, guys, when they got into his presence. And it had a direct effect on their mouths. We see this all throughout scripture. I'm going to give you some scripture references here. We see when the spirit of the Lord falls that it has a direct effect on their mouths because, listen, scriptures show us that when the spirit comes and when he rests, our hearts are changed. Our hearts are changed and our mouths reflect the posture of our hearts. This happened with Saul right after he was anointed by Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 10, 10 through 11 says this. And when Saul came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously, those who knew who he really was, they said, who is this son of Kish? Has he become one of the prophets? kind of a derogatory way of saying we kind of know who he is what's he doing hanging out with the prophets because the spirit of the lord had come upon him had changed his heart and had filled his mouth acts 19:6. we see it with paul and when paul had laid his hands upon them the holy spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying their mouths were changed this is for all ages. Acts 2, 17 through 18 says this. And it shall come to pass in the last days that when I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Upon my servants and my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Come on. What is prophecy? 
As I was growing up, I thought prophecy were those weird, wacko preachers on television that were going to tell you when Jesus was coming back. That's what I thought prophecy was. Or it was that Sunday night service where that weird guy was going to come and speak, and you'd sit in the back because you didn't want him to call your name. You didn't want to have to stand up in front of everybody, and he was going to, like, list out your sins. That's what I thought prophecy was. I was wrong. That's not what prophecy is. All throughout Scripture, to put it simply, prophecy is declaring God's word. That's it. Oh, that all of God's people would prophesy. Oh, that all of their mouths would be filled with his word. To declare boldly what God has said over me. To declare with authority what God has declared over those around me. The word of the Lord. What is the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy, just a few things here. Number one is the building and the edification of the church. It is the supporting of the work of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 through 4 says this, but he that prophesies speaks to men to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongue or in his heavenly language edifies himself. But he that prophesies edifies the church. You see, your mouth can either be a tool that builds, supports the work of Jesus, because Jesus said, I'll build my church. He's building it. We get to help build it. We get to help support it with our mouths, or we get to actively work against it with our mouths. That's a sobering realization. What does it mean to edify? To edify is to instruct, to improve in knowledge generally, or particularly in moral or knowledge, in faith, and in holiness. What does it mean to exhort? It means to encourage to encourage with words, advice, to warn, and to caution. So the first thing is, is that prophecy, God's word in our mouth, builds the church. It edifies the church. It exhorts the church. The second thing that we see is that prophecy is an antidote to fear. Prophecy is an antidote to fear. Paul the Apostle, when writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who is very timid by nature. If you, if you read anything about Timothy, he's a young guy. He's been left there at Ephesus after planting this church with Paul. He wants to go with Paul, his spiritual father. And Paul says, no, you need to stay here. I want you to pastor. But see, the thing was is he was left with a bunch of older, more, I mean, honestly, they were probably previously Pharisees is the way that scripture um, kind of describes that if you look into commentaries. But they were the older, wiser bunch that he got left with, and they were very intimidating. And his personality was not one to take charge. That wasn't his personality. But Paul, when writing to him, is encouraging him. He's exhorting him in the Lord. And he's reminding him, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, my son. You've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. But one of the things that he says here, this is 1 Timothy 1.18. When encouraging his son, he says, Timothy, I'm giving you this command in keeping with what? The prophecies once made about you. So that by recalling them, you got to recall them. You got to recount them. Go back and read those journals. 
Go back and think about what that teacher spoke over you. Go back and think about what your youth pastor spoke over you. You got to dig those things back up because they're an antidote to fear in your life that wants to rob you of your calling, that wants to rob you of maturing. Does that make sense? He says, if you'll recall them, you can fight the battle well. Mm. You want to go ahead and come up, Tyler? I want us to hone in back on two characters that are found in the last portion of numbers that I read. Eldad and Medad. When I hear their names, I can't help but think of Samwise and Frodo. I, I don't know why. We just started the Lord of the Rings series with our nine-year-old. So maybe it has something to do with that. But I just see these little hobbit-looking figures walking through the camp. And they're prophesying. You know what they're doing? They're instilling courage. I wonder if they overheard someone talking, complaining in that tent, and if they took a second to stop and say, hey, can I declare the word of the Lord over you? Can I just infuse your tent with his presence? Can I just instill courage in your fearful heart this morning by opening my mouth and prophesying the word of the Lord? Oh, that we would be like Eldad and Medad. And when we leave that place, guys, that we would be mature enough to know that his presence isn't isolated to the four walls, that his presence is upon us. And if our heart posture is mature, then we will guard that connection above all else. Exodus 33, 15, Moses says this, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not moving. We're not going. Oh, that that would be our cry in this house. Oh, if your presence isn't with us, if it's not upon me, if it's not evidence in the words of my mouth, God, then I am not moving. What would it look like, you guys, if this was a house that hosted his presence? That means that I don't have to wait for him to come play because I've got a wellspring up inside of me. I don't have to wait to get to my car to turn on the newest, latest, greatest worship album because I got a wellspring up in me and my mouth because I've been in his presence is filled with his word. I can tell you what it would look like. I've had this picture over and over and over again over the last several weeks. If this was a house that hosted God's presence, let me just give you a picture for a second. There's a family in Prosper and maybe they're at the end of their rope. It's a mom, it's a dad, they don't know what to do. Kids aren't doing well in school. Their oldest isn't even wanting to, to serve the Lord anymore. I mean, just think about it. They're in a dire, dire situation. And for whatever reason, they pull into our parking lot. And they're greeted by a parking lot attendant because we're gonna have parking lot attendants in Jesus' name. They are pulling in and they're greeted by a parking lot attendant who smiles as they roll down their window and he shows them where to go. They get out of their car and he walks over and he greets them and he says, man, it's so good to have you guys here. Did you know that God has something special for you this morning? He's just prophesying, guys. He's just walking throughout the camp, prophesying to those whose hearts are paralyzed with fear. 
to those who fear so far away from God. And then they leave the parking lot with their kids, probably dragging their kids behind them. They make it to the entryway and they run into Dr. Bakker. He's the greatest greeter ever. And you guys, he's been praying in between people coming. He's been praying in the spirit because he's hosting his presence because he's not limiting this interaction with God to when he walks in the sanctuary, you guys. And this family that is so heavy laden and they're so tired, they've come into the presence of the Lord and before they get to the sanctuary, my dad says, oh, it's so nice to have you this morning. Did you know God has something really special for you? What'd he do? He just opened up his mouth and prophesied. And then they walk down the hall and they're greeted by the beautiful Emily who notices because, listen, she's in tune with the Holy Spirit. She notices that their little girl looks a little shy and it reminds her of growing up as a little girl and how she felt scared and shy. And so she comes around, she gets down on her knees and she looks at her in the eye and says, I'm so glad you're here because Jesus loves you and he has something special for you today. She's just prophesying. And it so moves her mother's heart that someone took the time to go around and look at her little girl and tell her Jesus loves you. They turn to go, they walk down the hall and they can hear the kids, they're jumping up, they're celebrating. They're greeted by the one and only Sydney Carter, who's not just bubbly in personality, but listen, who's filled to overflow with the Holy Spirit. She's bubbling over with the Holy Spirit because just because she's young doesn't mean she can't host him. So she's hosting him and she looks at those kids and she says, man, we've been waiting for you. God's got something incredible for you today. They put the kids in the room and as they turn to go, at this point, mom and dad are beginning to think that maybe God has something for me too. Maybe he does. Maybe he's here in this place because I feel him. I haven't even gotten to the sanctuary yet. They walk down the hall to get to the sanctuary and they see in the corner, Penny and Teresa. And Penny and Teresa are, are talking, they're having an intense conversation and she thinks to herself, the woman thinks, oh, they're probably gossiping about someone because that's kind of the norm, right? Unfortunately, even in church, it's the norm. But what does, that's right. What does she hear? She hears Penny prophesying and praying over Teresa. That's what she hears. And that woman is marked because she says, I've never been in a place where there are women who honor each other, who love each other, who bless each other the way that I just witnessed. They haven't even made it to coffee yet, guys. And who's, who's waiting? Vincent's over there. He's lingering by the coffee table because he has a word of knowledge for them. They're not even in the sanctuary yet. And after he's done ministering, because he hosts the presence of the Lord, she has no makeup or mascara on her face at this point. And she makes it here. She's not even run into you yet. What's going to happen when she runs into you, Valerie? You see what's happened? Because we're a community that hosts his presence. God is calling us to maturity. There's something supernatural that we steward. There's something supernatural. You steward, you're here for a reason. You're here for a reason because God is so good at taking the rabble. He's so good at taking the forgotten. He's so good at taking the has-beens and the forgotten-abouts and bringing them together and making them a family. And that's what he's doing in this community. 
I'm almost done. But I want to share, when Tyler and I moved, when we moved to almost two years, yeah, two years ago, um, we got here and we knew that we wanted to come, we wanted uh, the first six months being here, we wanted to spend those Sundays in churches that were presence-driven churches. These are churches that were healthy and they, they hosted the presence of the Lord. The very first church that we ever went to was Mercy Culture Church in Fort Worth. Some of you have been there, you've heard us reference this church frequently. This church is an apostolic covering for this house. I will never forget when we went the very first time, the presence of the Lord was so powerful and it was so thick. But you guys, the skeptic in me, the skeptic in me sat back. The skeptic in me said, yeah, there's something wrong. This, this is too good to be true because I have been exposed to such toxicity in church. Anybody else? There's something wrong. This really can't be. I remember walking away and being so disappointed in myself that I would even feel that way. Now the Lord began to do a healing work because several months and weeks into that, we were able to sit down with their staff, sit down with their leaders. And I remember we would sit down at this table with their leaders. And guys, I would just anticipate, when's the pastor bashing going to occur? When's the gossip going to occur? It never did. You know what they did? They spoke the word of the Lord over each other. That's what they did. And literally in their presence, my heart was healed. My heart was healed. There are people that need to come into this house. And if your mouth doesn't carry the word of the Lord, you will not bring the healing that he has designed for them to experience in this house. The Lord wants to speak to the skeptic this morning. I want us to just close our eyes. Just like me, there are skeptics in this house. And the Lord wants to minister to you this morning. Skepticism is linked to, it's directly linked to suspicion. You are suspicious because you have suffered injustice at the hands of authority and at the hands of leaders. And like the ones in the beginning of Numbers who lived on the outskirts of the camp, they had drifted from his presence. The Lord wants you to come close this morning. He's not angry with you. He's not bitter towards you. He wants to heal you. See, Israel knew better than probably any race what it was like to suffer injustice, hundreds of years in bondage and oppression. And for them to be led out mightily, they were in a different place geographically, guys, but they were in a rut mentally. They were brought out and led by a shepherd, but all they'd ever known was a slave driver. And the Lord wants to heal your heart this morning as you surrender and as you repent for the words that your mouth have spoken. Maybe you're prone to gossip. Maybe you find yourself, you get entangled easily in gossiping. Maybe you, you feel like I've gotta have alliances. I've gotta have friends. I've gotta have people that'll protect me. So I gossip so that I can feel like I have some security. 
maybe because you've been hurt by authority or by leaders, you're quick to grumble and complain when they make decisions that you don't support or maybe you don't understand. But the Lord says, if you'll come near to me this morning and surrender, I will heal your heart and listen. Where your mouth has spoken words that literally suck faith out of the room, the Lord is gonna fill your mouth with words that are like fuel, that fuel the little flames of fire. Those little flickers of faith around people will be fueled because of the words that he puts in your mouth. So Father, this morning, all of us come to you. We come to you in this moment of humility. Our hearts need to be changed, Father. We need you to take that coal from your presence and put it on our lips so that our words reflect the heart of heaven, so that our words are life-giving words. Oh, that this house would be a house that hosts your presence, God. That is our heart's desire, and that is our cry. Now, if that is you, I want you to just take the next few seconds. I want you to just begin to repent before the Lord, whether it's gossip, whether it's slander, whether it's being critical of others. Lord, I'm sorry for hurting your heart. Lord, I'm sorry for slandering your bride. Lord, I'm sorry for maligning your children. God, I'm sorry for opening my mouth and speaking death where you've called me to speak life. Would you fill my mouth now with your words? Would you fill my mouth, Lord, with life? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want everyone looking here, every leader, because that's what the Lord calls you, leaders in this house. I want us to pray this prayer in unity as we close this morning. I want our prayer to be, Lord, let us not be children who only obey to avoid consequence or for the benefits. Come on, that's our prayer this morning, Lord. God, let us not be children who only obey you to avoid consequence or Lord, to miss out on benefits but God, let us obey you because we guard the connection we have with you. We love you and we don't want anything to harm you or hurt your heart, God. We wanna host your heart. We wanna host it well. We wanna host it always. And Lord, I just declare over these beautiful people, these leaders of God, I just declare that you would see yourselves the way the Lord sees you. And that this week, God, they would get into your presence. Get into your presence, Lord. And when they leave, they would walk in continual awareness of your nearness. He's never left. He never will. That we would host you in our hearts and that it would be manifest in our mouths. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you for this transformation. We thank you for this impartation. And all of God's people, all of God's leaders say, amen, amen.